Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Dope Black Podcast. This is the Dope Black Dad Podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison. Today uh, is a really good one. I'm really excited to be joined by Sean Bailey. How are you doing, Sean? I'm not too bad, not too bad. Just dealing with a half-term drama. So if my kid's bursting, please don't be surprised. (laughs) I think we're both doing the same thing. We're both angling for just a little bit of space just to try to do one little thing. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've I've had to adjust about four things today to try and make room for it. Um, And it's not going well. Um, so I'm going to read out your bio just to make you um, uh, scream, basically. Um, so Sean Bailey, born uh, 71, a British politician, former journalist, uh, member of the Conservative Party. Uh, you've also been a member of the London Assembly since 2016. Uh, born in North Kensington, uh, British Jamaican family. You're under a degree in computer-aided engineer at Southbank, uh, legendary uni. Uh, 2006, you co-founded a charity called My Generation, um, and then you've been a researcher for the Central Policy Studies and wrote several articles in the British press. Also appointed a special advisor to David Cameron, 2010 to 2013, uh, and also uh, stood on a, uh, as an MP for Hammersmith in 2010 and Lewis and Western Penge in 2017. Uh, also selected to be the Conservative candidate in 2021 for the mayoral elections. Uh, and then came second uh, to Sadiq Khan, uh, having received 35% of the first preference and 45% of the second preference. Well, Sean, thank you for joining us first and foremost. Is that bio correct really? Did I, like, because sometimes the bios in the universe are, I've got a couple that just add, added a couple of things. One of them tells me that I'm like friends with Drake or something, which is uh, clearly not true. But well, <laughs> is that bio correct? Um, the, I think the one big mistake, it says I was a journalist, never been a journalist, never been a journalist. And <laughs> I, I think the, prob- the problem in the world, people take people's bios from um, Wikipedia and a boy. <laughs> How things about your rival Wikipedia, nobody knows, it's a mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're born in the 70s, Jamaican background. I'm like born in the early 80s, Jamaican background. Uh, we both have bald heads. Are, are we related by any chance? That feels like something that pe- people regularly uh, refer that we look quite similar. Well, uh, well, I normally get, I look like Trevor Nelson, so you, you've added to that. Anyway, all Jamaicans have a kinship, then, don't we? We have a kinship. We, 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 our families came here for a very serious thing to, to, to see us move forward. And uh, when I see someone like you who does the things you do, it makes me proud to be a Jamaican in the context of Britain as well. I think it's really important that as a community, as a sort of small Jamaican community, we have a big footprint, we have a big noise on the stage, and I like that. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what's your what time of what decade is your earliest memories? Early eighties, um, late seventies. Is that your earliest memories? And what, what do you remember of that time from a Jamaican perspective? Was you was you in Northwest London at the time? I, I was in Abbot Grove. I'm, I'm, I'm a Grove boy at that time. I'd say my earliest memories really are sort of mid seventies, and it was mainly about music. So my dad used to listen to things like Eka Mouse. And, and, and George Brown and those kind of things and, and James Brown, I'm a big James Brown fan because of the music of that time. But my own mm. era really is probably the early 80s, you know, because things like Public Enemy and, and that kind of stuff were beginning to make a real imprint on who I am and what I was thinking about the world. But yeah, my, my memories start pretty early. And that and unfortunately the NF, the NF had quite a footprint role. Mm. For, for the younger viewers, that's the National Front. They were the BMP of our time, my time. and. Mm. Um, they um they had a real presence where I live, and and that made it, it made growing up more interesting sometimes than it needed yeah. to be. Because because there's the footprint of the Teddy Boys right in the Labrook Grove. That's a really like well known um, clash that used to happen. Um, I, I don't know how you even explain them. They were like a group of young white males who were dressed as like 1950s rockers who you know were challenging the migration in the 50s. But it really started off in sort of Labrook Grove area. Is, is that was that the kind of what what did that create for you in the 70s and 80s then because I assume there's a legacy of you know how black people connected in Labrador Grove and that experience I think it did a number of things if you're my age it felt more like the NF not the Teddy Boys the, the, the NF was more your your, your high lace Doc Martens tight jeans close crop embraces that kind of thing that's what you would visually see and, mm. and obviously they were overtly racist they, they were, it, you knew what you were dealing with there was no subtlety there they would chase you down the road they beat you up but there was no subtlety there but I think one of the if there's an upside from that the community in Labour Grove particularly Jamaican community which a lot of the black community was brought on because we were sort of the largest single number there was very tight very strong and my, my, my one of my uncles tells a story of seeing a black boy being jumped and running across the road to help him and then before the white boys jumped in, they were like, why did you come across here? You could have just, we didn't even see you. And he said, but that's how we are, we're in it together. And the guy said to him, we respect that. We're still going to beat you up, but we respect that. And and, and, and mm-hmm. away they went and they did whatever they needed to do. But the, the upside of that was we had a community that was really tight together. And of course, Labrick Grove had a history of slum landlords and, and some really quite tough times through the 70s, race riots and stuff but we did have the, the positive side up as well like I say a tight community the Notting Hill Carnival started there and you had you had a group of people who were who were pushy for their children they wanted to see us succeed and they did everything within their power to, to make that happen mm. is, is that where the like the foundation of like your belief in self-determination comes from is it is it that because what's interesting is is that in, in, in especially Jamaican culture, conservatism is quite popular. It's like I, I would say that my grand was quite conservative, even though you know I think socially more liberal, but financially a lot more conservative. Is that where your early understandings come from, or did it come later? I think uh, early, early on it wasn't really an issue for me. I, you know those people who like wanted to be a politician ever since they were five. I'm just not that guy. I was much more conservative. People, our community. Ultimately, I just want to see people succeed, black or white. That's that's my thing. To be independent, you know, to make the decisions you want to make. If you want to live here or you want to live in Lancashire, go for it. Let's see how we can make that happen. That kind of thing. And I think g- growing up the way we did in a Jamaican community, surrounded by, in many cases, some quite overt racism, made me feel like I want to be self-determined. I tried to understand, for instance, why people were racist. 
I think as a black person in anywhere in the world, particularly in the Western world, you're told a story as to why people are racist. For me, I wanted to find out. And, and there was different versions of why people are racist. Some of it was pure ignorance. Some of it was history. Some of it people just didn't understand. So a lot of it was fear. So I always wanted to understand that because to be self-determined is to understand your neighbor and yourself. You know, you need to be able to operate in the world. I, I like a community that that has partnerships outside of itself as well. And, and that for me was important. And I think my conservatism comes from the fact that I believe in conservatism in the biggest sense, not the conservative party per se, but conservatism, you know, let, let, let be married, raise your children properly, you know, have, 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 have a job, have your own finances, all of those things, as opposed to socialism, where you give all of your power to somebody else who tells you they'll do well for you. I want to make my decisions for myself and my children. And, and is there some parts of uh, the sort of socialism that you can adhere to that you can connect with, or is it a straight line? As in, like everything should be based on the individual? Or is there nothing about the collective well-being that necessarily works for you? How, how would you weigh it in percentage terms? I would say to people this: socialists often ask the right questions and come up with the wrong answer. There is no political system or belief that is entirely right or entirely wrong. That's just nonsense. I think for me though, because I'm black, because we are immigrants, I wanted to have more say over the future that my children will be in. You know, socialism and collectivism is very, very powerful. And for our community, any immigrant community, but particularly the black community, that's how we survived and then prospered. But if you look at it in political terms, I, I'm not of the of the view that we need to give all of our power to somebody. We need to be able to make change, make decisions. The power politically lies in the fact that you could and would go the other way if you, if you had to, to to benefit your own. And often in socialism, when it when you talk about in British terms, people make great noises for black people and do nothing about it. You know, they sign up for anti-racism. They sign up to 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 get to getting you know the, the pay gap sorted out. But then when you look at their organisation, they do nothing of the sort. They just sound nice. They virtue signal. And, and that's a problem for, for us if we're reliant on them for our future. So I wanted to be self-determined. And many of the things that, that socialists say that we shouldn't have, black people need to make the decision if they want to have it or not. I, I remember having a long conversation with someone about private school and them saying how wrong it was and all the rest of that. And then the third person in the conversation pointed out, well, many Labour MPs send their children to private school, a la Diane Abbott. And at the time, that was a very big thing. Um, I always said, well, if she can, why wouldn't she up this up to her? So that's a decision for her to make. Whereas socialism would make that impossible if it was given, a, if you were, if they were given the choice, making the choice for you. So I'm just a little bit more wanting to be be in control of our future, if only because of what's happened to us in the past. Mm. And, and would you ever consider changing sides or creating a different party that has somewhere between what the Conservative Party are doing right now, what the Labour Party are representing right now, or or are you just just Conservative? Well, I think Tory is probably probably a better word. I think there's two there's two ways to approach that. No party. If you're a Labour Party member at home now, right, you they've never done exactly everything you want to do. Even even Tony Blair never did everything he wanted to do as a member. It just doesn't work like that. So. I, I, I don't need to sit in a party and say everything they do is what I wanted them to do, represent me. That, that simply isn't true. Politics isn't like that. I think the conservatives in this country is a very broad church, and I sit in a very particular place in that. 
The problem with politics, of course, is you get labelled and then anything everybody else does, you then have to carry the label. And it's the same for people on the Labour Party as well. And there's many things that the Labour Party have wanted to do and, and some of the things they have done that I think are great ideas. My politics is not is not chauvinistic. I don't think the Conservatives are right about everything and Labour are wrong about everything. It just simply isn't that way. The best mm. thing about the British system is your ideas are tested. So Labour have something to say, we have something to say, and we, and we, and we come to some kind of, you know, hobble together agreement. But that's what I like, the fact that the ideas are tested, that, they, that people are not chauvinistically one way or the other. I think if you do that, particularly if you're talking about the, de the development of your community, you, you remove a great deal of the possibilities you could make happen because you're just ignoring good ideas that are coming from somewhere else. I, I just wouldn't do that. Would, would I start a different party? I'd, I'd say this, starting a political party is, um, I'd say in modern terms, is virtually impossible. You know, you, you could start a political movement, which actually might be more, more impactful in any given arena, but starting a political party strikes me as quite impossible. And why would you say that is? If we could just let the people understand from their context, why would that be difficult in your view? The enormous sums of money you'd need to generate. If you look at the Labour Party, it's huge. I have loads of reunion money, whatever, coming in, and that's how you make it work. Also, I'm not sure modern people would want to build a vehicle that has so much compromise in it. So we talk about Labour and Conservatives, but they, they've arrived through literally hundreds of years of compromise. I don't think you could arrive at the point people want now. People want a functioning body right here, right now. I don't, I don't think you, you could arrive at that. It takes a very long time to, to, to make your way through that and, and, and to and establish a footprint in other people's minds. I think that'd be very, very hard to do. Uh, actually, it's a really interesting question. Like, How, how much do you need to, to raise for even for like a mayoral, like a ballpark figure um, to become a mayoral candidate? Because it's something that people have have, have leaned into and probably have people thought, oh, I could probably do that. What, what kind of money are we talking about? I mean, look, the levels of money in our politics are nothing compared to American politics, not even close. But to run a mayoral campaign, you're looking, you know, upwards of two million pounds easily. Easily you'd, you'd, you'd have to get there. There's staff, there's all kinds of things that, that you have to cover. If you're in the Labour Party, they they have a bigger London operation than, than I certainly could build. So I'd argue it's significantly more again that they, they would have to raise. And then that's just one campaign. You, you just have an ongoing situation. It is literally like running a business, you know, except not everybody's interested in your products. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it, it's quite hard to sell politics in, in that sense. And, and I, mm. it, it makes it tough. I just want to go back to the timeline a little bit. So the 80s and 90s were school times. What, what do you remember of school? I mean, the big events for me. So when I was in primary school, I, I remember just being great fun. It was cosy. We, we lived in the community. We knew everybody. It was very regular. I, I think the biggest event was when the Vietnamese boat children came to our school. We had a number of them join our school and it was like mm. a big thing. And, and they came in as immigrants in, in, in you know, I was obviously a, a small child. It felt like a great big change of new people. And, and that was great as well. My family were very big in my life. My grandmother was very, very big for me. I'm a lot of time at church. You know, church was, was church wasn't just spiritual. It was, a, it was a community event, if you know what I mean, a very regular one. And I had the, the women of my community are what really sticks out to me. So I had my aunt Ryan and my aunt Nez and my grandmother. The, the women of that generation really went to back for us really really went to back for us you know you know you you had people who were overtly racist that they had to deal with you had people who were very nice and well-meaning 
and, and were racist and, and didn't know. And they loved us and cared for us and disciplined us and prospered us. And I just, they are the sort of big memories from that time. And of course, they had a Notting Hill Carnival, which was such a feature for my family. Because as part of our finances, every year we'd have a stall there. And if that went well, you'd feel it. And if it went badly, you'd feel it as well. I mean, I'm talking in pure financial terms. So that was good fun. And I suppose as well, I watched the part of London I grew up in change, change a lot. It, it became, it, we sort of went from slums to at least bordering a very rich area. Because I, I don't know how much people know London, but I, I came from Labbert Grove and Labbert Grove is next to Holland Park and Notting Hill Gate, which are very rich areas. So it was always, that was the backdrop to your poverty. If you start being like, well, we don't have much down here. They seem to have plenty. And, and that, that, mm. that changed how you view the world. And so for, like, it's interesting. So for, there's some people that like, I grew up in De Beauvoir in Hackney and in De Beauvoir in Hackney, De Beauvoir itself is a very affluent area. Um, houses go up to 2 million, I think maybe slightly even more now, almost 2.5. And then on the other side is Holly Street, which was a former mass council estate. Uh, where you probably, when I was growing up, would probably buy a house for a hundred thousand, um, uh, well, a flat, an apartment, um, and it created this really, really weird divide. And I, and I just always remember being never really understanding what they did over that side to even to to, to live that way versus me. Like, so what you're saying is that inspired you to see that difference between the two areas, rather than the, you know made you consider just taking it. <laughs> Or, or, <laughs> or destroying it. Right, because I think the thing that was prominent in Abbott Grove as well, we were a poor community, but we were in it together. She so had a large Moroccan community, large black community, a white working class community, largely Irish, that we were all poor. So as a very young child, I just thought everyone was poor. Yeah. Then as you grew up, you started to realize, oh my gosh, you got all these people in Holland Park, Notting Hill Gate, whatever, who are absolutely minted. But it wasn't important to me. It wasn't important to me. I, I didn't feel jealous. I, my community wasn't angry about it as far as I could see. They were just saying, look, we got to get ahead and here's how we're going to get ahead. You know, and by the way, here the pitfalls are alive. Don't fall into them. It's only as you get older and you start to realise more and more and more there is a divide here. But the divide in West London seemed a bit more polite than it did in other parts of London. There was a teeny bit more mixing because we had the, the Port Vela market. And the Port Vale market was very trendy. So they'd come down from one end of it and we'd come down from the other. It's like I used to tell people, I used to live on the same road as Madonna, but she lived at the Holland Park end and I lived at the Portobello end. <laughs> that was the only real difference, you know. Her place mm. was worth 10, 15 million. Mine's was a council, but in fact, it was housing association. But that was the difference. And at that time in my life, when I was younger, I didn't understand the social divide the journey that you'd have to be to, to, to end up living next door to Madonna. But if you lived in Abbott Grove, you would occasionally see these people. So it was a very mm. strange mix, a very strange mix of good and bad, rich and poor. You know, it was inspiring, but sometimes it was, it, it was also maddening. So 91 to 2000, you're, you're a young adult in the world. You know, what, what was it that you was trying to create for yourself in your 20s? Um, what was the vision? I really was just trying to go school and just and just behave myself. My my mum was very big on behave yourself. Like I, I don't want to come police station to collect you. As a real thing for my mum. But I was part of the army cadets. I was doing gymnastics at the time. They were really filling my mind. And my best friend, his dad was a youth worker, so that was beginning to become an issue for me because he was constantly saying, you know, come and get involved in this, do that, blah 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 blah. And then my dad, he lived in Northwest London, and I used I. I 
that I was brought there one day, one one year, one summer to stay with them. And I started working as a youth worker in a school called John Kelly, that had a summer scheme. And that's where, I must have been about 16 then, that's where it really kicked off for me, the whole youth work thing, the whole doing more and more and more for your community. And I, I just enjoyed it. I'd like to tell you some big lofty sort of spiritual journey. I just, I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed hanging with the boys, helping them. I just enjoyed it. And then when I came back to Abu Ghraib, that that feeling really took off for me. And, and I, I started to do that. that. That for me was the beginning of starting to ask more societal questions. Okay, why, why do we have no money? What can we do about it? Do I need to concern myself with whose fault that is or do I need to find an answer? Do you know what I mean? What am I saying to these young men now? I'm now starting to meet you're very angry, very, very angry, very, very angry. And people are making them militant because it's making them feel good. But that militancy is, is, is damaging their future. What am I saying to them? Because it's hard to tell someone, yeah, I, I, I beg you, you stop shotting. And they're like, Sean, I got no money. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, I'm telling them it could be a bus driver. And like, Sean, I, I can make a grand a day and you tell you about being a bus driver. Do you know what I mean? Those conversations are hard, but I, I kept going, I kept going. And eventually I, I started doing drug work. And for us, really, we were, I used to tell my boss, we're not high on drugs, we're selling drugs. It's your community that's high on drugs. My drugs community is selling them. And then after a while, I set up my own charity because I wanted to deal with that. I didn't like the idea that they were sending money to our community for drug use and we weren't using drugs. So somebody else was getting drugs, but we were getting in trouble with the police. Mm. And at what point did you become politically active? And what happens? Do you get Is there someone that turns up at your doorstep and says, we see the work you're doing, want you to represent us? Is that something that you sign up proactively yourself? I, I'll tell you right now, everyone, there's many people who have a slight conspiracy about every element in the world that somehow in a dark room, a guy in a long coat turns up to your door with a pamphlet and says, this is your future. You're going to represent us, but we need your two children and some blood. So what, what actually happens? How, how do you get involved politically? I, w- I wish it was that simple. <laughs> it's like, what to me, so... I know. Um, I, I, was, I was just my own mind. At that time, I, I was really deeply into my youth and community work. So I was running a thing I set up with somebody called My Generation. We were working hard. It was hard, but it was such fun. It, it goes beyond rewarding. Though. People were coming to me. I was, I was able to get them jobs. They were helping to get through school. I was an education program, health program, girls group, boys group, football club. Job club, all those things, I loved it. And I was pr- I was preachy. If I came across a young person, they got the speech. Like, they got the speech. But they were responding to it. And so, and I, I had a saying, I used to say to young people, yeah, you've got to learn to identify opportunity. And if you have an opportunity, you've got to squeeze it hard, get every piece of juice out of it, squeeze the pips out of it. So anyway, I then went to, uh, there's a, a group of people called the uh, um, uh, Centre for Policy Studies. And they were doing stuff about crime and youth work. So I went to a meeting, very posh, up in the, in, um, in Westminster. And I just thought, these people are chatting rubbish, right? So I just told them, I was blatant, I, I was raw with them. I said, you're all in here, you're chatting rubbish, you make a lot of money. But the people from the CPS, they were serious. They wanted to know what it was like. They wanted to know. So they invited me back. I was astonished. I was absolutely astonished because I, I, um, I was raw. So they invited me back and they started asking me stuff. And then they asked me to write something and I wrote a little thing. And, and I was just doing little bits of work for them, trying to show them what it's really like, where that anger's coming from, but also where the joy's coming from in our community, what, how we've been able to survive. And, and they were interested in that from a policy point of view. And then someone working with David Cameron heard me speak at an event. And then they said mm. to me, oh, 
you've got to come see David Cameron and he's going to be Prime Minister one day. And I was like, yeah, sweet, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, whatever. And I went back my business. And then they, then they brought David Cameron to meet me. And then, wow. so, but that, did, that, that, that didn't quite go, I think, the way they wanted it to go. So then they, they invited him to see me speak at a different event and he actually came. And then he came over to me and he said, yes, oh, you're exactly what we're looking for. You should be a candidate. I've been MP a little while. I'm going to become leader. I'd love you to be. In fact, he was a leader. I want you to be one of my like candidates for MP. Now, you can imagine, I'm a young black guy from Maverick Grove. This quite partial white guy telling me to join the Conservative Party. I, was, I, I didn't say it because obviously there's no need to be rude to people. But I was thinking, what are you chatting about later? It's never going to happen. <laughs> but anyway, I said to him, for a joke, like, you know, because I think I'm funny. I said to him, look, don't call us, we'll call you, right? So, yeah. so anyway, I went back and I was telling this story to a couple of the young people I was working with, yeah? A couple of the older boys and one of their parents, and they were furious. And I was quite shocked because one of them said to me, so all the time, Sean, you're there telling us that if we see an opportunity, we've got to grab it, da 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 da, da. Someone gives you an opportunity and you, and you laugh at them. And I, I kind of felt a little bit bad because it, I, I always want to live what I'm, you know, I'm what I was preaching. So I went back to the person and said, yeah, yeah, I'll give it a go. And then they were excited. They were like, right, you know, come and meet anyone. So I started doing work for CPS, writing stuff, talking, meeting other think tanks. And then Hammersmith came up as a seat and they said, you should go for it. And if I told the honest truth, well, I didn't think they were going to select me. Because I went in that room, and, and I'll, I'll be frank, as a black person, you went in that room, it's full of sort of upper middle class white people. Don't get me wrong, they were completely nice. You know, ch- but I was not their guy, do you know what I mean? At least on an emotional level in my head. And I thought they were gonna ask me about politics. They never asked me one question about politics. They asked me about my belief. They asked me about what I think is important, what I wanna do. And I said, well, here's what I've been doing. Here's what I wanna do, here's what's important. And one of them said to me, you do realize they're conservative values. So I went home, discussed this with a couple of people. My uncle has been a Labour voter, and I mean a Labour voter from 19 long time. He was crazy, <laughs> he, mm. he freaked out. But he did say to me at the end of the day, the, the advancement of the black man is the black man making his own decisions. And as a man, that's the decision you want to make, that's fine. And I hadn't really made any decision. Anyway, I went along to the selection process, never thought they'd select me, and then they selected me. And, and a big part of it was me proving to young people, if you're black and there's no black people in the place, something's going on, we need to find out. What is going on there? What good is there that we can deliver for our community and for the wider world, black or white? So I did it and then they selected me. And the next morning when I went and met all the members and all the officers, I knew they were serious. They were not playing. This was their life. And they'd given me quite a, a, a privilege and a responsibility because believe you me, most of them wanted to do it as well. And, and, I, and I, I was about to sort of do it for them. So I just put my nose to the wheel. And the more I've learned about politics and the more involved I've been, the more I realise that my views are conservative in, in the broadest sense, in, in the sort of conservatism as, as a way of life as opposed to just the conservative party but that's how i got started i i sort of i was i was encouraged in that direction rather than someone saying to me just come and join the conservative party because at the time i'd written stuff that was in the newspaper and i had a lot of people from the local labor party and uh, a couple of them approached me and asked me to join them as well but my beliefs don't just don't align with their so, so i didn't i went and became conservative what, what did you learn from that first election that process of, um, of being selected. What did you learn? I learned that politics is a team game. I learned that it's really hard work. There's no glamour. You know, you see people on telly at, at, at 
at the, at the dispatch box minister that that is not politics politics is at your local level fighting with people you could imagine as a black man 10 15 years ago having to explain to people why i'm a conservative and i grew up in a big moroccan community as well so i had to explain to black people that's it's moroccan people and then you, the, the, the white irish people i lived they were stunned and but it's a it, it was a constant conversation because i had a lot of trust in my community so they're like we we know and trust and love you so it's, we don't need to have that conversation but a conservative explain why and then, and then we went for it and for a lot of people they were able to actually they think they're a conservative because they never heard it spoken about in the same terms and same language that we would use like you know on the podcast this is the best poshest language i have if me mm. and amanda were somewhere else i would tell you things and speaking and and, and people appreciated that and the, the sheer work and time was is incredible knocking on people's doors some people are rude some people are not going to public meetings all that kind of stuff it just takes a lot of time but i also learned that senior politicians in the context of their party labor conservative lib dem when you when you talk to boris or rishi yeah or gove or or, or rob as a conservative at a conservative event it feels much more mano a mano than when you see them on telly uh, mm. and, and it's, it's hard to expect if, if you bump into one of them at an event as a conservative member you can say something to them and in five ten days that you can hear them repeat it on telly because they're always trying to harvest that information from the front line and that was quite a revelation for me you, you, but they're not always the general sometimes you are of, of equal use which i found i always find it's invigorating it makes it worth doing mm. and so what was the, the outcome of that election how did it go for you in terms of just like scale and experience obviously beyond that what was the actual result and how did it go so i, I didn't win um it was it, it i don't know it, it was it was emotional for me mm. and and actually it, i didn't win but what was what was emotional for me and positive is when i went back to my community and everybody's like sure them people are idiots they don't know what they're missing out on blah 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 they, they really like hugged me and stood me up which i really really loved really really loved and i i spent a lot of time on a sort of personal level right which i wouldn't do for most people saying look david cameron's all right he's, he's, he's all right i mean, i know man look at him oh, rich was you know blah 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 but on a personal level man to man he's, he's all right and a sort of a people there's two people in particular i could think about who are really quite horrible at it you're black you'd be mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You use your this and your that and your da-da-da-da. And it's that constant conversation and saying, you've been sold those tropes to keep black people down, yeah? That's something that people, these tropes. Anyway, about, about three or four months after the election, maybe a bit more, like David Cameron rang me and said, oh, you did a really great campaign, sorry you didn't win, blah, 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 blah. Would you like to be a special advisor? And he said, no, let me rephrase that. I would like you to come in and be one of my special advisors. And just on a purely personal level, I, I don't want to say it was a relief, but it, 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 it galvanised in my mind that this man wasn't taking advantage of me. It meant that I could mm-hmm. go back to these two particular individuals and say, yeah, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, but, but I was able to say to one of them, you're wrong. And in particular, and, and she was like, what do you mean I'm wrong? I said, because tomorrow morning, I start my job in number 10. And she's like, what? And, and she was furious. She, there's, there's no making her feel good. And, and, but the other person was, was quite shocked. And I said, I'm not trying to tell you that all of politics has changed or conservative parties change. But this one individual has been more than good his word. And I, I only say that point because we are often encouraged to, to demonise the other. And I just want to say to her, he's just a person like the rest of us. And he respected the mm. work I did, blah, 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 blah. And here we are. And, and for me, that, that was, um, it was quite, I try not to hold on to things that are too hard because it means you could be easily punctured, as it were. But I won't lie, it was nice to ring my mum and say to her, pack your bags, we're going to number 10. That, you know, it was nice <laughs> to say as well. Mm. And what, what was their response throughout that time? Were they were they with you the whole time? I know you said your uncle identified like you found it difficult. What I, assume, I suppose your mum and like the immediate people close to you are probably mean a bit more. What what what, what were their response? Up to this day, they're nothing but proud. Nothing but proud. But but you know that as family, like there's people listening to this now who are thinking, "What's the idiot? I never vote conservative." Blah blah blah. If your sister came in and told you she's a conservative MP, you'd still love her anyway. Mm. It, it, it was like yeah, that. Yeah. My mum. My mum is, is, is of our parents' generation. She's just proud to see us all. My mum is proud of you doing this, yeah? My mum, so anybody that's doing this now, you any kind of full-time job, not going to jail, my mum is proud of you because that was their journey. Their journey was to see us thrive. How we decide to thrive is a decision for us, but the fact that we're thriving just makes them feel good. And my mum used to love it. And, and, and you know, you know your mum loves it. When you go, we've been, we've been um, in Bella Market, my mum would meet one of her friends and she'd be telling them what I'm doing. Or she'd say, did mm. you see she was on the news every day? She's not even talking about what mm. I said on the news. That's not important. It's just, just about that on the news. Because that, mm. exactly. To her, that signifies progress, not only of her son, but of the whole community as well. And, and, and that is why one of the best things about being a black politician, and it can, it can often be tougher in the context of London, even black people who are not conservatives will pull you to one side and say, you know what, well, good on you, keep going, keep going. They, 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 they appreciate the, the journey of our, of our community is more important to them than the colour of your politics, if you see what I'm saying. Mm. And then, so then you went back in again. <laughs> you you, you love the idea of, uh, of elections. How, how did you approach the second um, uh, attempt to become an MP versus the first? And, and what was the outcome for you? How did you feel about it? I think the second one, I was a lot less naive. If I'm truthful, 
if I was stood in a place that's, that I, I could I could read it and tell you it wasn't going to be a win. But I wanted to do the work. I wanted to keep sharp, and I wanted to respect and support the people who who requested me, who wanted me to be their candidate. They're a good bunch of people, young, old, black and white, quite a diverse group. Really interested in the things that I was interested in, which was um, which was great. So I went and did that work, but it was less of a shock, not winning. I understood what I was doing. By that time, I'd had lots of working parts. I'd been in number ten. I'd been in, you know, I knew what I was doing more, and so that 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 was fine. I, I went through the motions, enjoyed myself, but really, I, I felt like I was trying to pay respects to the volunteers because they do an awful lot of work and it's a thankless task. And I just wanted them to know that I appreciated them, so I tried to replicate what they were doing. So, so who is the committee that invites you in to become MP again? You know, obviously, you said David Cameron said he would love you to to represent, and and so who 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 are the people you're speaking about that you are showing up for? Who are they? So the basic structure is all of the different seats across the country, yeah, six hundred and fifty of them have a conservative association, which is made up of normal, ordinary local people. And as a member, me, who's on the candidates list. I can apply to to be their candidate, as it were, and it's up to them. It's up to me to go and see them, meet them. They hold events for the candidates, and they and they decide if it's if it's you or not. Even when David Cameron、mm. said to me, "I'd like you to be one of my MPs," there's nothing he can do about it. He can't make me an MP. All he can do is、mm. encourage me to, to to go there. To go through the process. And, and of, exactly. And, and one of the weird things about the Conservative Party, all of the associations are a law unto themselves. If they think. That central office or the prime minister, or someone sent you, they'll get rid of you just, just to make themselves laugh. They do not like to be dictated to, so it's not very useful. When I, when I was、um, doing the first time, there's a notion, there's a thing called the A list, and everybody kept talking about me being on the A list. And I remember this this old elderly guy. He came up and he said, "Sean, is there an A list?" I said, "I believe there is." He said, "Are、oh, you on the A list?" I said, "No." He said, "Because if you are, I can't support you." I said, "Why?" He said, "We、mm-hmm. never support anyone who's been sent to us. We make our own decisions here, and that's a sort of sort of conservative feeling. They're just expressing how they believe that any given area should should to be should be self-representing. They didn't want to be dictated to." Well, one of the things that I'm finding really intriguing as I'm listening to you is as you speak about because I, I know nothing about politics from an inner workings um,、uh, um, and how it all works on a day-to-day basis, but it really is sounding that it's not. And I, sorry, let me go back. I think what often is presented is that politics is like cut and shut. It happens from the top. There are people in dark corners, in meeting rooms, and members clubs who decide how the world is going to be ordered from top to bottom. And we are the we just receive the, the outcomes, and then we're trying to be sold it through media and whatever. What you're saying is that there genuinely is real chance to influence at every level some sort of decision making process because. Those people who have to make you MP for their area won't care for you if you are sent to them. So that can't be true. It's not just like David Cameron at that time telling people who's going to go where and how the country's going to run. It comes really through a collective group of people who believe something and are administering it in their own way at each local level and every layer of politics. Is, is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it is, and, and and I'd say don't get me wrong, it isn't always fair. It isn't always even-handed. Little local cabals have who you know their little thing they want to do, but it is not dictated to from the centre. I, I don't know how the Labour Party system is. Their system is more centralised than ours, and it's a different system. I haven't been for it, but local conservatives really enjoy exercising their power. Look, you could be a, a, a member of a local conservative group. They could have the same MP for fifty years. 
right? You get one time that MP retires, moves on. You get one time to exercise the power. Believe you me, they, they take that one time. They, they absolutely love it. And of course, politics happens at a lower, more immediate level as well, which is councillors. I would say to anybody here now, be you, be you conservative, Lib Dem, Labour, if you're interested in politics, look at being a councillor. If you're prepared to do the, the late nights, log through the briefs, do it because that's where the real power is. I do a lot of school works, um, school talks, excuse me, and a kid asked me, you know, am I upset that I'm not an MP, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, because at the time I was in number 10, I said, I have more influence than any MP, and I explained why. And so another girl said to me, well, should she try to become an MP because she would really like to fix her local area? I said, there should be leader of your council because the leader of your council has a budget. The leader of your council decides where this school was built. You know, it's about immediacy. It's about real power. And, and there's other ways that, you know, ordinary people can, can affect real power in their, in their environment. It's really interesting. And then just so then you've gone in for another third election, this time for, for the whole of London, rather than just the constituency within London. What, what made Drog's decision between that? Was that, again, somebody um, inviting you to, to take that space? Or was it you really wanting to push that agenda? What, what made you want to do that? That, that was slightly different. I, 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 I sit on the London Assembly, so my day job is the state of London, the money, the safety, where your children go to school, does TFL, well, all of, that's my day job. And I sat and I watched Sadiq Khan and I just thought, there's somebody who's doing it badly. And if you look at Ken, for instance, I wouldn't have agreed with much of what Ken did, but I will tell you, Ken did stuff. Ken had a plan. He wasn't being blown about by the wind. He took responsibility. He wasn't just saying it's the government's fault. It's the government's fault. He was doing stuff. And I and I wish that we had a mayor, Liberal Conservative, who was be who could do more than just grumble about the government. That was my first part. The second part as well was purely from a party point of view. I just wanted to make sure that the Conservatives had, as far as I could see, a viable alternative. Because politics often, if you're an ordinary person, just looks like the same old people. And I determined to show that the Conservatives are not what the stereotype says. And my presence, my views on the world, all of those things, I just wanted to be there to have the argument. And thirdly, and maybe most importantly, it's about my children and my community. I'm constantly telling black people we can and should be everywhere. There's an absolutely no reason why the mayor of London shouldn't be a black man. And it's not just because I'm black, I expect black people to support me, nothing of the sort. But what I want to do is try to inspire black people to say, actually, I could be the CEO of my company. I could move up the ladder where I work now. I could be in politics. Why am I not running the council? I need to take on the housing people, whoever it is. And I just wanted to be to be in the argument. And the, and the, the, the deep thing as well, I built a, a, a really comprehensive suite of policies over the years and I thought you know what I can answer most of London's um, big challenges let me show London I have an answer so I went out and I got involved. So you you actually got 35% of the vote to Sadiq Khan's 40% that's pretty close what what was your expectation was it was it was you adamant on winning or did you feel like you just wanted to be competitive what what was your goal um setting out and what did you think of the result as well? <laughs> Let's let's go backwards. I, I I would love to tell you I expected that result. I was a little bit stunned. I it, it, I the Conservatives were and are very far behind in London, very far. So to make up that ground was incredible. It really was incredible. I had a young team who worked their socks off. They really they just they believed in me. They believed in what I said, and they just they worked their socks off. It, it was incredible. 
And I started to get an inkling that I was doing better than the polls just because of people I was meeting in the street. Like, and you got to be careful when one person sort of, you know, polling of one, we're going to win. But I was meeting people <laughs> in the street. I remember being in Bexley and this woman walking up to me in Bexley and just saying, you better win. I said, why? And she said, yeah, come in the hairdressers. And she brought me the hairdressers and they all went through it. And I was stunned that, you know, basically this group of little white women knew who I was and they were telling me about the policies that I was putting out there and telling me why it was the right thing to do. About three days after that, I was in um, Tower Hamlets and I had this Pakistani man come over to me and he said, you've got to win. I said, why? He said, because Khan's abandoned us. He's abandoned us. I said, what do you mean he's abandoned? He said, he said, I drive for a living. I, do, I drive on all the apps. The man's abandoned us. I went into the middle of town and I met a boy from Tottenham, yeah. And when I tell you he's not interested in conservative, I mean, I don't need to convince you that he was not interested. Right, but me and him, we had a conversation, we kind of had it out. And then there's a group of people, people joining the group, listening, listening, listening. And then this black guy, yeah, right. I'd say he's about my age, like maybe, maybe a bit older, about 55. He said to me, you've really, really hurt me. I said, why is that? He said, because for the first time, I'm going to have to vote Conservative. And I said, brother, I really appreciate that. And why it was important is because I was getting good feedback from a very broad section of people, a really broad section of people. And that let me know that my message was getting through because the press were ignoring me. The polls were, when I tell you, they were telling me I was 40 or 50 points behind. And that wasn't helpful. But people in London, they were listening. They wanted to hear. And we all know London's got challenges. And I, I would argue that many of the challenges the mayor could do much more about. And then in terms of, you know, that that process, of, what, what do you think the single thing would have really helped you take it over the line? Because now you know it's 5%. If you knew that at the point that like, oh, there's a 5% gap in the polls, what would you have done differently? How would that have changed your approach? I wouldn't have done anything differently because... Quite frankly, I couldn't afford to do anything differently. I gave all my time over to all of it. My, my family really suffered. They, they really backed me up. I just gave all my time to it. I raised as much money as I could and I spent every single penny of it on campaigning. So I don't think I could have done anything differently. Um, what I appreciate is my team really worked hard. And, you know, I had a group of young people, some deeply experienced, some not, but they believed in the message and they constructed the message and kept pushing it out and kept pushing it out. And, and, and that I really liked. If I was to change something, I may, I would have been a bit more bold earlier on. I would have maybe taken on the mayor more directly because I'm not here to have a fight with people. I'm here to make a change, make a difference. And Sadiq Khan kept coming at me and I, I, just, I just ignored him. I think maybe now I'm a little bit older, a little bit more cantankerous. I, I might have butted heads a little bit more. But I'd like to believe I'd only do that if it was going to make the point clearer for people. There, there was this sort of weird visual of where Sadiq tried to shake your hand and then uh, you, I, I don't, I, I can't remember it probably, but I think he tried, he tried to shake your hand and you walked past him. Um, and they were kind of got played out on camera. Do you think things like that were, were at play? And was that authentic or was there something else going on? What's happening now? That, that, that wasn't Sadiq, that was Rory. That was Rory. Sorry, yes, Rory. I'll tell you something yeah. now, Sadiq Khan, yeah, yeah, Sadiq Khan would never shake my hand. He, he's, he's not that kind of guy. He's not magnanimous. He's not, he's not statesman-like. That, that, that would never be an issue. I, I think what it was Rory sheepishly stuck his stuck his hand out and I didn't actually see it and you know it is in the press it's a great story to make a big a big a big thing of it because if I'd have saw it I'd have shook his hand it just so that I didn't have anything to write about but the reason he did that is because a few weeks before I'd met him a few weeks before he asked to meet me and before the whole thing sort of kicked off and and didn't for one second say he was going to run 
okay and he kind of felt bad about that and then his team started putting out lots of quite mean stuff about me in the press so he wasn't sure about meeting me and then I just missed his hand and I remember Jenny saying to me are you embarrassed about that no I'm not embarrassed shaking his hand man big like a snake you know what I mean I'm easy I don't take these things personally I'll just shake his hand because shaking his hand or not shaking his hand wouldn't change the outcome of anything so of course I shake his hand and, and, and do you feel like he became um, a value add or a hindrance to what the Conservative Party were trying to do in London and how close it ended up being? Was, was he taking votes from you or was it just like, just more just more noise and not, not big of a deal? I, I mean, in the end, he kind of he bowed out, didn't he? I, I think, it's, I think it's, just, it's, just, it's just more noise. An, an election is a messy, loud, colourful event. And anybody wants to get involved wants to get involved. Um, people try to say he's taken all your vote and this, that and the other. I didn't see it as my vote to have. I felt like I had to win people over. And if he was winning people over, that's the state of democracy. You have to let him let him do that. And I think people were, people wanted me to be upset. And I, I just simply wasn't. I, I think it's his right to stand. He stood. He did what he did. I did what I did. His presence didn't change how I behaved. So for me, it was just, it was just more noise in an election. Hmm. And what's your relationship now with the Conservative Party, with you know HQ uh, today? Obviously, we're aware of Partygate, which keeps circling and it seems to be getting worse and worse month on month. Uh, it was known that you threw an event also at that time uh, and you've kind of been thrown under the bus a little bit. How, how do you understand that time and actually throwing an event? Is there anything you want to say to, the, to our listeners about that time and also just how you feel now? There's two things. Firstly, I, I, I never threw any party. That's important. And the reason you won't catch me at this point going into great detail is because people are still running investigations, etc., about it. So I, I've been asked to, to sort of keep to myself. But I will say this. The idea that I was thrown under the bus was only ever profited by the left-wing press. And a friend of mine who, who's very um, anti-my politics talked a lot of oh, they're throwing you under the bus, this, that, and the other. And I said to him, I want you to go back and read who has said what. He had to come back to me and said, yeah, actually, it's one newspaper that's pursued you. Yeah. I said, you've shown me anybody in the, in the, in the Conservative Party who said anything about me. Right. He could show me one person. Yeah. Right. He could show me one person. I said, right. Who is it who suggested I've done something wrong or should be in trouble or whatever? It was that newspaper. And they've done it in line with Khan. They did it in cahoots with Khan. The woman who wrote about it is a, is a journalist called Pippa Carrera. She's always been Khan's girl. She's always come at me. They thought they were going to make a liar of me. That's what they thought. But what they don't know is I'm not like them. I don't, I don't, this is not a game for me. I'm not, I, I always tell people my life is being run without a safety net, yeah? So I, I, I just, I just be who I am. That way people can't catch me out. And they were gutted that they couldn't catch me out. But boy, did they try. They absolutely tried. And I, 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 I take my soundings from the street. So I, I was in Borough Market and this woman stopped me. And she said, you're that Sean Bailey guy, is it? I said, yeah. She said, why did you apologize? So I'll tell you why, because I've got a young team and many of them, right, their job prospects, their future was on the line. So that's why I took up the slack, <clears throat> excuse me. It's my team, ultimately the, the buck stops with me. I'm teetotal, I don't drink, I was at work and I went home, that's what happened. Yes, they stayed behind, but I'd never throw them under the bus because when I needed them, they were there for me. So I'm, I'm there for them, that's, that's, just, that's just how I roll. That's just how she's like, oh, what's the understand. impact of that? What, what, what was the actual punishment? What did you do? Did you step down? What did you have to formally do as a, as a result? So, so because I went in, for, formally, I, I didn't have to do anything formally. There's nothing they could do formally. And, and, and Sneak Car made all kinds of noise. He's got to stand and He knows I don't have to stand down. What he's worried about 
is that I might run again. That's what it's really about. And what he really wanted to do is stop me because he's, he's afraid. The reason I stood down, right, because if you're sat at home now listening to this podcast and you don't really care about politics, believe it or not, you really do care about politicians. You want to see people going through what you have to go through. And I thought, you know what, right? If they're running an investigation, I can't sit on the police committee. That's wrong. So I came up. And people say, but yeah, you're having fun. I wasn't having fun. I actually was at work and I know this. Don't drink, don't party. I've never done that way. But you know what, right? People have to make penance for stuff. I'm going to do this for my team. And more importantly, at City Hall, we're talking about keeping the black community safe. We're talking about making runners safe for women and girls. We're talking about helping people get on in life, helping get people get housing. If I'm on a committee as a chair and all they want to talk about is parties, that means that work doesn't get done. And for me, this is much more important that that work gets done than I look good. So I came off. And of course, my colleagues, they're all a bit blindsided as well. They're like, well, what's going on here, Sean? I said, you know what? I don't want you to have to go through this because it's got nothing to do with you. So let me come, let me do what I'm going to do and you can get on with your job. And they were fine. And, and away we went. So then, so I, there's a part, there's a tiny piece of me that agrees with you. Like if we're not doing the things that we need to do, if we're sitting there talking about something so much, but fundamentally the law, the law was broken and it's been proven and fines have been handed out. What, what is your view? Do you have a personal view? Because you said that you're different to them. Um, and you're not one of those career politician people who are willing to die, you know, publicly to and bring everyone down to just keep your space. How, how do you feel about the people that have been found, Kerry? Yeah, well, the, the, the thing for me is civil servants, everybody, they did their parties, whatever. But I'd ask you this. If you received a parking ticket, now someone listening to this received a parking ticket, whatever, would they expect their job to be taken away from them? Would they expect it to be... To, to, to lose everything because I've received a parking ticket. And it was told to me, from a legal point of view, this is the level of parking ticket. It, it's a, I think, I think the term's misdemeanor. I, don't quote me on that, I'm, I'm not legal, I don't, I don't know. But that, that's, that's what I was told, and I, I'd say no. And let's be clear, the other piece of this as well, the real thing about this is, this has always been, it's always been a witch hunt. It's always been about politics. It's always been about someone getting somebody else's position. You know, if you're Keir Starmer, you want to swap with Boris, that, that kind of stuff. And, and if for me, if it was if it was a little bit less about that, they'd, they'd have more validity to it. And I just see people, the same people, running again and again and again. Don't get me wrong, I fully understand why people are upset. That's why I took the actions I took. Because I don't want people think, think, thinking, oh, they're, they're having a great time, and oh, actually we're not. We, I, I want to show people that I was in it together. And if I had to make those concessions, those steps, those changes to demonstrate that to people, I'm more than happy to do that. But I can't speak on other people's behalf. People have always tried to say to me, should A have done this, that and the other? Well, you'll have to ask them. It's not for me to ask the question because I wouldn't want them answering the same questions on my behalf. How does it feel to be someone who um, is displaying integrity at a time when many others are not? I would like to believe that's been the story of my life. I've been in many situations on a personal level, when I used to run a charity, working for councils, being a school governor, where I, I try to act from a place of integrity. And normally, you only really need to do that when other people are not. So for me, it's not, that's not a new sensation. And if you're listening to this now, you, you know, you're sat at home listening to this, you would, you, you, I wouldn't have to convince you that many times in public life, people don't act with integrity. So it's not like this is a big, oh my gosh, this has just happened. What, what are we all going to do? This happens quite regularly. And I try to conduct myself. I try to conduct myself so I can look my wife in the face. That is my first sort of touch point though. Is my wife going to call me out on this? You know, and then beyond that, right? I have a group of friends who I went to school and college with who are not conservatives. They're not, yeah. 
I always think, can I go and look them in the eye as well? Yeah. And that and that for me is the first sort of personal yardstick. And then after that, the press always runs stuff to make you think twice and blah, 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 blah. But that's my yardstick. I always try to act to have a place where I could comfortably go back and continue the work I want to do. And what does the future hold for you? What now? Um, you, you've had three elections, um, two attempts at MP, one attempt at mayor. Um, you know, you know, are, are you still a part of the London Assembly? It says that you stepped down from two of the committees. Um, so what, what actually is next for you? What would you like to do for yourself going forward? I think the first step is to just to keep crushing up my London Assembly job. Um, for those of you who are not versed in politics, London Assembly is effectively the council for London. We're the regional um, elected body for London. And some of the work we do, in fact, probably all of it is really quite important. Things like the level of crime in London. I remember telling someone the other day that she said, oh, why are you still bothering them? This, that, that. And I said, because look, a little while ago, I asked Sadiq Khan what he's going to do to make the black community safe in London. And he laughed at me. I've asked him the same question three times. Two times he's laughed. The third time he didn't even bother to answer. Right. That is what keeps me going. I've got to have that on the agenda. I've been speaking to a group of young black people, seven of them. Every single one of them has a job. I'm sorry, every single one of them has a degree. None of them have a job. And it's not for want of, of searching. Those are the kind of things that mean I will try to stay close and involved in politics to push the needs, not just of the black community, but of, of, of what I would call working communities in general people who need to work for a living. So that will, that will keep me going. I've got lots of other work I'm doing. I'm doing work for the Marriage Foundation. I'm about to do their 10 year, I'm doing their lecture for their 10 year anniversary to talk about why marriage is important. I'm, I'm gonna do that. I've got some other stuff I'm doing around um, the legalization of, of cannabis. I, I'm not pro that as, as you might imagine, but I, I'm doing some work about that. I've got my charitable stuff I'm doing on the side. Also I'm a school governor. But I've got lots of stuff I'm still doing. Um, politically, um, watch this space. You see, you know. I saw a I saw a twink in your eyes there that there's something coming. Yeah, um, yeah. There's uh, again. Look, there's another opportunity to run again. So he can't can't run it. Can he? He can't run again for the third term. So he could run a third, fourth, fifth term. He could keep going. That's absurd. Um, so, so the idea that you're going to run again, that's really possible. Um, and I assume that that's uh, a conversation that has to start in the next 12 to 18 months anyway to build up towards it. Um, and then, and there's also, well, the election's quite far away, but there's a lot to be had. There's a lot of MPs who have left their seats. And there's a lot of change that's kind of happened in the political landscape. So another run? We'll, 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 we'll see. Look, I, will I keep my hand in? Yes, I will keep my hand in. And this political game for me, look, here's how I tell it to someone. The politics is not the top of my pile. It's the base. I, I do the politics because it allows me the time, the space, the energy that I get to learn about the issues I want to I work on. Yeah, but I work from that point up. So I'm doing stuff now for the Marriage Foundation and stuff about um, cannabis. I'm doing that with a lot of think tanks, a lot of charities and a lot of doctors. That's what really interests me, making positive change for people. I'm doing that work. People who know me will also know I'm very interested in, in housing, very interested in, in economy as well. And when I say economy, I mean what you have in your wallet, your purse, and, your, and, and the future that your children will have from an employment point of view. Those kind of things really interest me as well. I'm doing all that work. And politics is just my vehicle to get it done at the highest level. Brilliant. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you coming through, being really honest and candid and forthright. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, for me, I think it's really important um, that, that there are, I think you probably inspired a whole bunch of people to look at politics in a different way. Um, and I think the result for really did shock me. I, I, the polls were really, 
you know, indicating that it wasn't going to be um, a great outcome for you. But I think for me, there was something there uh, and maybe with a better platform, it might have a different outcome. So, um, you know, congratulations for you for raising your hand and putting yourself forward. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what you do next, but do keep in touch with us and let us know how things are going. Uh, it's half term for you. How, how are you coping? Are you in the abyss like I am or how are you? I, I'm lucky. My youngest is 12 now. So he, he, he the, the, ah. a, the, the slightly less drama, slightly less drama. But, um, but it, it, it's really good because I've spent three years really campaigning really hard and being quite absent. So half term for my daughter who's 15 and my son is 12 is really important to spend some time. So that's really good. And I, and I just want to say something about the, about you and your activities, what you're doing. So you are called Dope Black Dads, yeah? I cannot tell you how that touched my soul the very first time I heard it. Because the basis of our community is family. And family comes from mother and father. Now, that might not be PC, but it is true. And you have your grandparents, extended family connected to that. And anything we can do to secure the, the prestige of, of black fathering... Yeah, is worth its weight in diamonds. Forget gold, in diamonds. It means that we are more able to support the women around us, we're more able to support the children around us, and that's where our collective prosperity comes from. And I don't just mean money, I mean socially, culturally, spiritually. So Dope Black Dads will always get my time. It was never a case of if I will come back, it's just when I will come back. I think <laughs> if you want me, I absolutely will be back. I absolutely will be back. Because you remind me that for all the dramas that we've had as a community, all, all non-white communities in London in London have had, yeah, you remind me that it is good here and we're, and, we're, and we're improving, we're getting better and better and better and it's great to have that reminder. I appreciate it. Thanks for those kind words. Thank you. Dope Black Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 